Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. My friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast and podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, today I am excited to have you listen to a presentation that I made. So this is a presentation called Tax Planning in the Four Stages of Retirement. I do highly recommend checking out the video to supplement perhaps what you hear here. So if you have a chance to listen to the podcast in your car or you're working out, and then you wanna go actually see this, you can see the visuals behind it, definitely, definitely do that so you can see the whole enchilada. A lot of great information. Many of us, as we're thinking about retirement, maybe your folks are thinking about retirement, there's some really important tax planning things you can do. So listen, enjoy, and I'll look forward to hearing your feedback. With no further ado, here is that presentation. Hey everyone, thank you so much for attending this presentation. Before we dive in, let's warm up with a little tax brain teaser about Bill. I love brain teasers, don't you? It's fun. All right, so after working hard for his adult life, Bill, he's 65 years old, He's finally retired, and he's going to more concerts than ever before. Now, Bill has some income. As a matter of fact, he has $46,138 in taxable income, which includes $37,500 of Social Security benefits. So as you can see, if you look at the tax brackets that we have listed here on our presentation, you got the 10%, 12%. 22%. The bracket that you might think he would lie in would be the 22% bracket because it's more than $44,726 and less than $95,375. Now, towards the end of the year, Bill decides to have a little fun. He decides to take $1,000 out of his IRA for an extra trip to see Willie Nelson play in Austin. Now, here's the brain teaser. How much is he taxed on that extra $1,000? How much is he taxed on this extra $1,000? Keep in mind, again, 46138 is his taxable income. Of that, that would put him in the 22% bracket because it's more than 44,700 and change and less than 95,000. So you might think, how much tax does the man owe? Again, 22% bracket, right? So he pays 22 cents in federal income taxes for every additional dollar. So if we follow that math, that should be 220 dollars that he owes in federal income tax, right? 22% tax. Simple enough. Well, my friends, this is wrong. 
he actually owes $407 in tax, which is a 40.7% federal tax rate on that income. Why the heck is this? Well, thanks to the madness that's in our tax code, the unique formula that determines how your social security benefits are taxed, the real answer is he owes 407 bucks on that extra $1,000 of income. And so my friends, let's investigate why today we're going to be talking about how tax planning changes through the four stages of retirement. My name is Dave Denniston. I am a financial advisor, the CEO of our independent RIA Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC. And I thank you so much for coming out to learn more about taxes in retirement. Now, I want to assure you one thing about this presentation. I believe you're going to be better informed about the challenges of retirement tax planning after listening to this talk. Now, you may be wondering, why is a financial advisor giving a presentation about retirement tax planning? We'll see my friends from time to time. If you're familiar with me, you'll know I present workshops and classes on various financial education topics, such as social security, retirement planning, IRA planning, even some interesting stuff that is out of the box, like land investing and even tax liens. My goal is to inform and educate my audience so that you can understand just how critical financial planning topics affect you and your family. Now, I do this presentation because I've seen many people make mistakes and pay way more taxes in retirement than they should. Now, when this happens, I find it makes my job harder. Why? Well, people have less income in retirement and we have to find ways to make their portfolios last. Now, I have to tell you, taxes can seem complex. There can be a lot of jargon, even though the underlying concepts are really straightforward, to be honest with you. But let me take a second to explain what's going to happen in this presentation today. This presentation is organized into four keys, four keys. Each key builds on the previous one to form a solution to our presentation problem, as you'll see. To help you remember what we're covering here tonight, I want to point out to you a few things. If you're live, I have a page that's titled How Tax Planning Changes During the Stages of Retirement, which is a summary of the presentation. Now, if you are listening to this after it's recorded, uh, definitely just feel free to send an email to Robbie, assistant at daviddeniston.com. And Robbie definitely can shoot you off how tech, the, the summary of how tax planning changes during the four stages of retirement. Now, you may have questions as we're going along here, and I'm always trying to respect people's times. So I'm not going to be taking questions during the presentation, so that way we can make sure to keep this uh, pretty, pretty uh, on time. But I will take questions afterwards. And of course, if you are listening to this online, you have questions afterwards, would welcome you to email me, dave at daviddeniston.com. And we would love to connect with you and answer any questions you have then. Now, I want to mention at the end of the presentation, I am going to invite you to a taxes and retirement plan overview meeting. This is a complimentary one-on-one -on -one meeting that I offer so we can discuss in private 
the issues raised by tonight's presentations. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you more about it later. Now, most importantly, this isn't some sales presentation. There's no sales pitch. And you can see what we're viewing tonight in the agenda that's available to you. Now, there is one really important point that I want to make to everyone, and that is everyone's situation is different. Their taxes are different. Their investments are different. Their jobs are different. And you should always consult a qualified professional tax advisor to discuss your specific tax situation. You know, work with your financial advisor uh, as a team. If you don't have one, certainly you're welcome to bounce ideas off of me. Now, we're going to be talking about very specific topics. Traditional IRAs, which are tax deferred. You must pay taxes on distributions or conversions out of traditional IRAs at ordinary federal and state income tax rates. In comparison, Roth IRAs, you don't get a tax deduction for putting money into it. The money's growing tax-free and earnings may be withdrawn tax-free in accordance with IRS rules. Now, I must tell you, my friends, that state taxes is kind of the third leg here. This presentation specifically reference federal taxes. If you live in a state like I do in the state of Minnesota, you may also still face state taxes. Just make sure to check with your tax professional to figure out what is going on with you. Now, I must say I am a financial advisor, and I certainly provide guidance on taxes, but I don't provide tax advice. What I do is help people understand the tax code, understand the rules that could impact their financial planning and investments, and then we develop a plan to take into account many of the really odd and weird things people encounter, especially around taxes in retirement. Well, my friends, I think we can all agree we're in a, a new world, a really complex world in light of everything that's happening out there. And our goal here is to help you understand that the retirement distribution game, this game of spending assets in retirement, is much different than the accumulation game when you're saving for retirement. Now, chances are, you have been in the accumulation phase of your life for several decades. You've been working hard. You've been trying to save money. And hopefully, your accounts have grown. But now, as you enter or you're preparing for retirement, you're in an entirely different phase, the distribution phase. And the distribution phase has new, strange rules that catch a lot of people off guard. No doubt, no doubt about it. And if we think about these new rules, there are often many changes in your own personal life that can have a big impact on your taxes too. For example, your children are grown. You're not getting tax credits anymore for your kids. Your house, hopefully, uh, may be paid fully off. And that means no more mortgage interest deduction. If you're already retired, you may no longer be receiving tax-free employer-paid medical insurance. If you've stopped working, you may no longer have the ability to stash away income in a 401k or similar plan to help manage your tax bill. And of course, at some point, you'll start taking Social Security. And sooner or later, when you reach your mid-70s, you have to start taking distributions from your retirement accounts. 
The list of changes, my friends, goes on and on, and many aspects of retirement will affect your tax bills in ways that are totally different from your working years. Understanding what those are and how they can impact you is absolutely crucial. So that brings us to a simple statement about the problem we're about to discuss. Simply put, people often pay more in taxes in retirement than expected because this confusing system treats various income types differently and contains hidden taxes and penalties. In the accumulation phase, people are building their assets in different forms, stocks, bonds, real estate, pensions, 401ks, IRAs, and many more. Now, in the distribution phase, your regular wages or other earned income, it stops coming in, right? And you have to take the money you've saved and use it to fund your retirement, which can go on for decades with good health on your side. Now, that's challenging because you'll need to make informed decisions about the tax implications of tapping all these different accounts and guess what? It can be costly. In retirement, what I find for many folks is your tax rate can vary dramatically based on the decisions you make, such as the timing and the order in which you use different sources of money to pay for your expenses. Poor choices through misunderstandings or ignorance of the rules can result in people paying more taxes than necessary. As a result, they may see their savings drop faster, and that can mean less to leave to their kids and grandkids. Now, of course, we don't want that to be you. And the fact that you are here, you're listening to this presentation, tells me you are willing to work towards a solution, which is such an important and the most critical first step. So thank you for being here. Congratulations on being here. Now, developing a solution. Now, your tax exposure will change through the four stages of retirement. You're going to need a strategy that anticipates both traditional taxes and other possible taxes, other surcharge, other penalties that relate to Social Security, relate to Medicare, and other income sources too. So that means you're gonna need an informed, a proactive plan that addresses how you create income in retirement. Now, my goal, my friends, we are building towards helping you be introduced to the major aspects of the kind of strategy that's gonna help you be informed to be proactive about how you're gonna create income in retirement and to have a workable solution to retirement tax problem. Now, the first step to develop an understanding of all the types of taxes you may face. What do I mean by taxes? We're talking about taxes. I'm talking about all of the costs that it can increase as your income does, including some that aren't actually called a tax. Now, to me, if your cost is going up as your income rises and is coming from the federal government, I call that a tax in my book. Now, you also need to understand the retirement expenses that you'll face, and you'll need to create a strategy that'll help you decide which of your assets to tap first, how much you should be taking from those assets, when those distributions should occur. Getting this right, my friends, will help you pay as low of a tax rate as 
possible. Now, there are four stages of retirement that we're going to be talking about. These are rough ranges and just some basic description. Of course, your experience may differ. This is just a framework, everybody. Let's talk about the pre-retirement, the work and save years, 50 to 60. Great time of life. Kids might be going in, in college. You're, you're reaching the pinnacle of your career in many cases. Next, the early years of retirement, 60 to 70. What a great time period. People often have grand plans for this time. You're traveling, you're volunteering, you're exploring again, you're starting new hobbies, you might be working part-time, you might be working full-time. And for many of us, it's all about spending more time with family and trying to make an impact on the world out there. Now, next you reach the middle years of retirement, 70 to 80. These become the go slow years, which bring more financial decisions, such as really thinking about your estate, how to deal with minimum distributions from your IRAs and other retirement accounts, of course, too. Now, finally, there's the later years of your retirement when your health may not be as good and you're thinking about your legacy and your estate, the no-go years around age 80, which hopefully some of us are, are still getting around, but many of us slow down a lot around age 80, and our kids are helping us out more than before. Now, as you'll see, my friends, these are a wide range of issues. They must be planned for in each phase, and this can be a lot harder than it seems because... Surprise! Retirement is full of surprises. Anyone that's been retired lately can uh, certainly relate to this, right? One big future unknown is inflation. We've seen this a lot in 2022 and through 2023. I find a lot of people tend to think of their future costs in dollars. They don't always anticipate how those costs grow with inflation. If we just think about 30 years ago, the cost of going to the movie theater, the cost of a gallon of milk, the cost of a gallon of gas, or a visit to the doctor or the ER. All of them were far, far less in those current dollars than they are today. Now think for a second, if that was what they were 30 years ago, what's going to happen for the next 30 years when you're not working? That, my friends, is inflation. Now the other thing that I think isn't often talked about enough with finances is longevity. Many folks end up living far longer than expected, and that requires more money at a time when it's difficult to work. So you have to think about how long are you going to live? How long did your folks live? What did that look like for you? Now, many people also underestimate, in my experience at least, how much money they need to maintain a pre-retirement standard of living. You got to take a look at that to understand uh, what it what it's taken to keep up your lifestyle. Because after all, who wants to see your standard of living drop once you retire, right? And having to stay home and not doing all the fun stuff. And then, of course, there's healthcare costs. This ten thousand pound gorilla, which in retirement there might be out of pocket payments for services and drugs and Medicare and the Medigap insurance and all those kinds of things, which definitely have risen and are probably going to continue to rise in the future. Now, now, my friends, at this point, you may be thinking this. 
Okay, so what is the first thing that I need to understand about retirement and taxes? Well, I believe the key is that you have to know what your after-tax retirement savings picture looks like before you actually retire. That's the key, knowing before you actually retire. Now, because a $500,000 401k or IRA balance isn't actually 500,000, right? That's because the government has a claim on part of that money because the taxes were deferred. You got a tax deduction when you put the money in and the government is gonna make sure they're getting their share when you're forced to start your required minimum distributions. The RMD age was 70 and it was 72 just a couple of years ago. The most recent Secure Act 2.0 pushed them back to 73, all the way up to 75, depending upon when you were born. So the good news is this problem potentially has been delayed for a little while. But on the other hand, the higher your tax rate in retirement, the less your account is actually worth. Let's take a look at an example here at different tax rates. Now this chart shows you cumulative after-tax amounts that you could receive, expect to receive from a $500,000 IRA. Let's say that 500K IRA is earning 6% a year at various tax rates. Well, as you can see, the lower your tax rate, the more you're keeping. Simple in theory, but difficult in practice. Now, by the way, this presentation, everything we're talking about here, applies to both pre-retirees and retirees. So don't worry if you've already started your retirement. This still can help you in your retirement. Now, of course, this is all hypothetical with the 6% rate of return, but obviously you can see that if you look at this chart here, you know that a $500,000 amount with cumulative after-tax distributions could be as high as a million dollars or as low as $630,000 going from a 0% tax rate up to a 33% tax rate, all right? Now, let's talk about next, where you might say, okay, well, at least I have Social Security to supplement my income and Medicare to pay my health costs. Well, you have to understand one thing when creating your retirement income tax strategy. Social Security and Medicare have their own tax traps that you need to plan for as well, my friends. So we're going to talk about Social Security now, Social Security and taxes. Here we get into the, the nerdy, fun numbers stuff. Now, remember at the very beginning of this presentation, we talked about Bill in our tax brain tease. We want to understand why he paid such a high tax rate on this extra money he took from his IRA to go on a concert road trip. Now, remember, Bill has... $38,000 of IRA income, which is part of his AGI, his adjusted gross income of 61838 And he also has $37,500 of Social Security benefits. And yes, as we talked about before, that puts him squarely in the 22% bracket, and he takes the standard deduction. But what happened? What happened when he took that extra $1,000 distribution? Why 
was he paying a 41% tax rate rather than a 22? Let's break this down, my friends. Let's break this down. This, my friends, is called getting hit by the social security torpedo. So if you look at this chart, if you're watching this on a video, what we're showing here is before a concert trip and after a concert trip. And the difference between the two has to do with that extra dollar of income. So if we look at this, when he added in that $1,000 of actual income, it increased both his AGI and his taxable income by $1,850. That means for every dollar of income he actually received, he's being taxed on a dollar and 85 cents. Huh? What? How did this happen? Well, here's the deal. Depending upon how much other income you have, the amount of your social security benefits that are taxable varies. Now, for instance, if your other income is low enough, all of your social security benefits will be tax-free at the federal level. On the other hand, if your income is high enough, up to 85% of your social security benefits can be taxable at whatever your personal rate is. Now, Bill finds himself in the latter scenario after he took out that extra $1,000 for, for that trip. So he moved from one bracket in his social security that only 85% of it um, before less than 85% of it was taxed, then afterwards up to 85% of it was taxed. So if we look at this in terms of the increase in taxes in the scenario, that's why he ends up with a 40.7% real tax. So I hope that's making sense to everybody. Just to give you an idea of what Social Security looks like, if you're married filing jointly, under $32,000 of provisional income, 0% of Social Security is taxed. Between $32,000 to $44,000, up to 50% is taxed. If you're over $44,000, that's when up to 85% is taxed. So he got tripped by that trigger of after his deduction and everything, how that all turned out and why he got taxed so much more is because the tax on Social Security moved from 50% to 85. And so we have to be aware of these things, my friends. Now, another aspect of Social Security and taxation and how people approach retirement. Now, during the go-go year stage, some people retire altogether. Other people enter a sort of semi-retirement. Sometimes maybe you're just continuing a prior job, but with fewer uh, hours. Others are using semi-retirement to explore an interest in a new field. And yet still others are using semi-retirement to pursue non-paid, rewarding volunteer work. So working in retirement is really important and it can impact your planning and your taxes in a number of ways. Some are good, some are bad, and some, my friends, are downright ugly.
Now, let's talk about the good thing with Social Security when you are working part-time or, or full-time uh, during these years. Now, chances are you may have researched what your Social Security benefit might be at various ages, but what you may not know is that your Social Security benefit is calculated using your highest 35 years of inflation-adjusted earnings. Well, what if you started working late in life? Or what if you left work to raise children? You may not even have 35 years of earnings history. Suppose you only have 28 of them. Well, those remaining seven years count as big fat zeros when they calculate your benefits. But there's good news. Earnings at any age add to that, right? So that can help to increase your Social Security benefit. And thanks to how Social Security calculates benefits, replacing several years of zeros with even modest earnings can really positively impact your benefits. Now, here's the bad. Let's take a look here at how working during your go-go years can be somewhat bad if you are already collecting benefits. And maybe you're unaware of the Social Security earnings limit that applies prior to reaching your full retirement age. As a matter of fact, for every $2 above a certain amount you earn, in 2023, that's $21,240, Social Security will withhold $1 of benefits. So keep in mind what we're talking about here is you're drawing Social Security and at the same time, you're still working. So keep in mind here, we're talking about earnings like a W-2 salary or 1099 self-employment income, not pensions, not interest, not dividends, not capital gains. They don't count and won't reduce early Social Security benefits. Now, let's say, for instance, that you earned $23,240 in 2023. That's $2,000 over the limit. Therefore, under the $1 withheld for every $2 earnings rule, Social Security withhold $1,000 of your 2023 benefits. Now, good news out of the bad news, these benefits aren't truly lost. When you reach full retirement age, your benefit will be adjusted to make it up as though you had applied at full retirement age with respect to those withheld benefits. In other words, your benefits go up, but in the interim of the year you're earning the money, it impacts you right now today. Now, also in the year that you reach full retirement age in this scenario we've talked about, there's a separate higher earnings limit. All right, we've talked about the good, we've talked about the bad, we got to talk about the ugly. Now, we're here to talk today about taxes and retirement, but there are other taxes that you may face too. For instance, while you're working, you're subject to the 7.65% Social Security and Medicare taxes in addition to, on top of the regular federal or state income taxes. The self-employed, if you're like me, you have your own business, you're paying twice that amount, 15.3%, half of that being employer, half of that being employee. Now, my friends, these taxes don't go away if you are working still, if you're working past full retirement age, or even if you're collecting Social Security. Even worse, if your go-go year earnings don't make it into your top 35, 
those social security taxes go into the trust fund and don't increase your benefit. So that can be downright ugly in that particular case is when you're already collecting social security. All right, so we talked about social security a bit. We got to talk about Medicare now. Medicare, the cliff, the Irma cliff. We got to watch out for this. Now, my friends, let's take a look at Medicare and talk about Irma, I-R-M-A-A, the Irma cliff. What does this stand for? Income-related monthly adjustment amount. The emphasis is on income because it's a tiered surcharge. Again, a kind of tax that's tacked on a people's Medicare Parts B and D premiums. But it only happens if you have income over $97,000 if you're single and $194,000 if you're married. So it doesn't have a high threshold. Again, this tiered surcharge starts happening at $97,000 if you're single or $194,000 if you're married. So let's take a look at this. Let's talk about George and Martha. They're a high-earning couple. They're over 65, so they are participating in Medicare, Part B and Part D. Irma, again, that income-related monthly adjustment amount, surcharge affect income from two years prior. And this couple was on track for $306,000 of modified AGI in 2021. But on December 1st, 2021, George decided to sell a stock he bought for $10,000 on July 1st, 2007. He sold the stock for 11 grand. So bought it for 10, sold it for 11. $1,000 of gains. This $1,000 of gain was taxed at a 15% long-term capital gains tax rate plus an additional 3.8% net investment income surtax for a total federal tax bill of 18.8. All right? Might look better than the federal at that income tax at that level. So if we do that math, 18.8% times the $1,000 gain, that's a $188 tax, right? Or is it? Now, remember, at least for me, my definition of a tax is any cost that increases as your income increases. So George and Martha will owe more tax than $188 because the gain from this sale of stock pushed them off the Medicare Irma cliff into paying higher Medicare premiums. So if you take a look at this particular chart, those of you that might be listening to this potentially on the podcast later to describe this chart for you, if you're married filing jointly, remember under $194,000, there's no difference. $194,001 to $246, rather than paying $165 a month for Medicare, now you're paying $230 per person. So that's $65 a month difference. If you're making between $346 to $306,000, you're paying $329.70. So your premium has practically doubled. Now, in this case, remember that $1,000 extra gain put them into $306,000 and change bracket. And so now they are going to have to pay almost another $100 in the Medicare premium. They're moved from $329 a month to $428. 
So, and that's for each of them. So times two, you know, you're looking at about $2,400 as an additional tax. So I hope that makes sense. So as a matter of fact, when we look at the, the combined amount of what they're having to pay for the IRMA, you know, we're talking about an additional tax altogether, including Medicare Part D, total surcharge of about $2,800 on top of the 188. So that $1,000 income gain triggered over $3,000 in taxes. So that's like a 302% tax rate. So you got to be really, really careful, my friends, of the Irma cliff. And now for a commercial break. Every year, about this time of the year, I have physicians asking me, Dave, I hate the taxes I'm paying. How can I lower my taxes? How can I understand what the heck is going on here? Well, that's why we have put together a tax cheat sheet that really has almost everything that you would ever wanna know about taxes. Two page document, super simple. I put together a few videos to walk you through it. All you have to do to receive this awesome document is tax the word cheat sheet, all one word, C-H-E-A-T-S-H-E-E-T. If you want to get your copy of the 2023 tax cheat sheet, make sure to text the word, all one word, cheat sheet, C-H-E-A-T-S-H-E-E-T to 833-343-2986. Nothing better you can do for yourself than to get educated on taxes. And so, my friends, make sure to download that cheat sheet again. You can text all one word cheat sheet to 833-243-2986. And now, back to the show. All right, good stuff here. Medicare. Let's talk about Medicare. Making sure that you're enrolling in Medicare at the right time, my friends, is a very critical decision. If you bungle it, you're going to get hit by a lifetime penalty. Let's go through another example here. Let's meet Jim. Let's meet Ann. Jim retired at 65. Ann retired at 66. Prior to her retirement, the couple had health insurance through her employer. And they continued that after Ann retired because her employer offered retiree health benefits. When should they enroll in Medicare Part B is the question. And so, my friends, enroll in Part B as soon as they retire, but unfortunately, they didn't know that they had to enroll in Medicare Part B as soon as she retired. So even though she had retiree health insurance benefits, those are generally paid secondary to Medicare after retirement. Jim and Ann didn't realize the mistake until it was too late. And thanks to the way Medicare enrollment periods work, They weren't able to begin coverage until the next year. Now, in a worst case scenario, this may have resulted in a gap of coverage for Jim and Ann if they had a major medical need. But even in a best case scenario, they missed the deadline to sign up for Medicare Part B. They're going to each owe 
a 10% Medicare Part B base premium penalty for life. That's right, for life. So you can see how much that translates into real dollars. In this example, they owe $408 extra in 2022. And historically, we can estimate that the premiums will be higher so that the 10% penalty will grow and grow and grow. Over the course of a lifetime, this could translate into a $10,000 mistake for the couple. For simplicity's sake, we're assuming that Anne's retiree's health insurance covers prescription drugs so they don't have to sign up for Part D. Just know that there is a penalty, my friends, for that too. You might be saying, oh my gosh, wow. Are there other tax traps we're going to face in retirement? We've talked about Social Security. We've talked about Medicare with their unique rules and penalties. So if you're someone who's seen this presentation, you may be asking yourself, wow, what else is there? Well, the rest of what we'll cover isn't what we've seen with Social Security tax, Torpedo, or the Medicare Irma Cliff. The public generally isn't aware of those tax squeezes. What we're going to see now is how the tax code, in plain view, snags retirees, especially when there's no planning. So remember, we have four keys altogether. This is our third key. My friends, you must plan how and when you use taxable, tax-deferred, and tax-free assets to manage your income and tax brackets efficiently. You can't be haphazard about this, folks, about tapping your tax-deferred saving. Timing, it's everything. And if you don't plan carefully all through the stages of retirement, you'll encounter unintended consequences. So let's take a look at addressing an account I hear often. What should I start? What account should I spend first when I start in retirement? Well, let's take a look. We got a couple here. We got Sam. We got Mary. They've been good savers. They love to smile. And as you can see, they're looking forward to spending their retirement years traveling, seeing their grandchildren. So in addition to Social Security benefits, they have 450 grand in an IRA each, 60 grand each in a Roth IRA, and $300,000 in a joint bank account. Now, they know they need about $8,500 a month or just over 100K a year. Where are they going to take money first? IRA, which they both have, Roth that they both have, or the joint bank account. Now, most people might think, you know what? Let's take the after-tax money in the bank, then take the tax-deferred IRA money, and then take the tax-free Roth. This, my friends, this is conventional wisdom, and it's not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. But we may know conventional wisdom isn't always the best approach. Now, there's been some really cool studies, which we have pictured here, for example, converting to Roth and New Tax Law, which was by Kenneth Anderson and David Hulse in 2007, the effects of Social Security benefits and RMDs on a tax-efficient withdrawal strategy by Greg Geisler, and another one by Kristen Cook. So all those really good studies on how to prepare for retirement using a combo of Social Security, taxable bank accounts, IRAs, pensions, and tax-exempt Roth. Now, the research has shown that that conventional approach probably isn't ideal. So here's their alternative. Here's what 
a lot of these studies are saying. There are two key elements in the early years. Number one, use taxable bank money for expenses. But during the same period, accelerate IRA distributions during otherwise low income years and put that money in Roth accounts. This is called the filling your bracket approach, which we'll discuss in a second. And this alternative approach gives you flexibility to use that tax-free Roth money in the future very strategically. Now, does it make a big difference? Absolutely it can. In academic studies that we're talking about here, this approach has been shown to increase portfolio longevity. That is how long your portfolio assets will last without you requiring to take on additional risk. The big takeaway here, of course, is you've got to plan all the way through retirement, especially around how you'll handle tax-deferred assets. Now, of course, see your tax professional for advice, right? But let's go through an example. Let's talk about Roth conversions. One way to manage your income, both before and during your retirement, is to utilize Roth IRA conversions. It's a simple process, my friends, allowing you to move money from an IRA or pre-tax retirement account like a 401k to a Roth. Now, in general, the amount you convert is added to your income for the year and will be taxed at your rate. Now, for example, if Jill converts 100K from her IRA to a Roth, she will have to add $100,000 to her income. And this conversion for Jill, this $100,000 conversion will be taxed at Jill's rate. For that reason, it's really recommended prior to doing that, consult with your tax professional. Now, I would point out to those of us that are still working, right? This is where, do you have a low income year? For example, we're, now you're working part-time rather than full-time. This conversion doesn't need to be all or nothing. If she has $100,000 in her IRA, she doesn't have to convert the whole thing. She could do this filling up the bracket that I was just talking about. Often, you will find yourself in the middle of the tax bracket with room to add income to it. So for example, this year, 2023, the 22% tax bracket for married couples filing a joint return goes from about 89000 bucks to $190,000. So if you file a joint return and your taxable income is 100K, right? So $100,000 up to $190,750, you're taxed at the 22% bracket. As long as you stay below $190,750, you're not moving up to the next bracket. Making a Roth IRA contribution could make an awful lot of sense. Now, if you want to convert a large IRA, this approach is often more tax efficient than converting the full amount in one year. Instead, you make smaller Roth IRA conversions over a number of years, filling up your bracket each and every time. This can help to reduce the average tax rate you'll pay on your converted money and also spreads the tax bill out over a longer time period. And so my friends, Roth IRA conversions can be so powerful when your taxable income is low, as I said earlier, such as maybe you have a high non-recurring medical expense deduction that year. Maybe you're a business owner and you have a low sales year. Maybe you're just working less just for fun to enjoy life more. It's common 
for people who retire early, but they're not receiving social security yet. They're not receiving their benefits. They're not receiving their pensions. They have a very low tax bracket in that case. What a perfect, perfect time to complete these Roth IRA conversions in these pre-RMD gap years. So the question is, what's the goal? What is the goal that we're trying to accomplish here? This can be a good time to spell out the crux of things. You must know whether you're trying to keep the income below a bracket threshold to avoid bumping up to the next tax rate, or whether you're trying to increase the income to fill up a bracket to take advantage of, of that particular tax rate. So I hope that makes sense to everybody because you don't want to bump up to the next one. You want to fill it up, right? So there's some other possible things you might want to consider too. For example, withdrawing tax-free money from life insurance policies to keep income low if you have such things. Selling highly appreciated stock for low or no capital gains. You could tax loss harvest or sell things that, that will help you to even create a tax loss for yourself. You can take distributions from IRAs or 401ks to take advantage of lower tax rates. And as we've seen, you could consider partial Roth conversions to fill up the lower brackets. Well, here's two other things, my friends, that might be helpful for you. Pre-retirement strategies. So these don't apply to everyone that might be listening here today. The first has to do with how you use a health care savings account. This would only apply to people that are covered by a high deductible plan. So an HSA, health savings account, HSA. The second has to do with small business owners. Those who want to be extra tax savvy and saving for retirement can fund a company pension plan, a cash balance plan, a defined benefit plan, which for certain high earning business owners can increase their ability to claim the QBI, the qualified business deduction. Now, both of these features of the tax code can be used to manage your tax exposure and provide significant tax-favored benefits throughout retirement. Now, if any of these that I've talked about apply to you, take a note of that. Again, healthcare savings account, small business owners are, are definitely huge in terms of having a company pension plan that you set up for yourself or a cash balance plan. Now, here's another example charitable taxes and giving. Now we've seen throughout our presentation, the critical importance of managing tax deferred accounts, because at some point you'll be forced to take out the required minimum distributions or RMDs, and that can be troublesome to your tax bill. But many people also make charitable donations, supporting their favorite nonprofit with annual gifts. Matter of fact, this is something that my aunt does. And you can use your RMD and charitable giving to work for you. Now, let's meet Albert and Shirley. They're in the 24% tax bracket. The standard deduction for a married couple filing a joint return in 2023 is $27,700. So the first $27,700 of your federal income, you're not paying a single cent of taxes on. Now, Albert and Shirley, they're over 65. So they each get an additional standard deduction, bringing their total standard deduction to 30700 bucks. Again, this means they receive no tax benefit for any itemized deduction unless their total standard deductions, or their itemized deductions exceed 
the standard deduction of $30,700. So if Albert and Shirley have $15,000 of existing itemized deductions, let's say from state and local taxes, maybe they have some medical expenses, maybe they have some mortgage interests, what happens if they donate $5,000 to charity out of their bank account? They get none new federal income tax benefit from making the charitable contribution, not a single cent. Because they have a standard deduction that's so high, their $20,000 of itemized doesn't go over it. $20,000 of itemized, 30,700 standard deduction, you take the standard. That's not to say that they shouldn't do it, but they should understand it's not helping them to save money on taxes. Now, if you're like my aunt, who's using this wonderful strategy, you're over 70 and a half, you have an IRA or an inherited IRA, there's another way to give to charity than simply writing a check. It's called a Qualified Charitable Distribution, or QCD for short. So again, uh, you're over 70 and a half years old at this stage. Let me explain how it works and why it can be so powerful. If you are 70 and a half or older, you can make a qualified charitable contribution of up to $100,000 each year from your IRA. If you're married and both of you are 70 and a half or older and both of you have an IRA, that means both of you can do up to $100,000 of qualified charitable contribution from your own IRA. So that's $200,000 total, my friends. $200,000 total for a couple. Second, any qualified charitable distributions you make count towards satisfying your RMD for the year, which begins at somewhere between age 72 to 75, depending upon how old you are. However, when you make the distribution from your IRA, it must go from your IRA right to the qualified charity. Or you can receive a check from the IRA custodian made pay payable to the charity and you can hand them the check. This is the odd part. Even though you gave to a charity, you get no income tax deduction. Why would I suggest a strategy where there's no deduction for giving to charity? Because when you make a qualified charitable distribution, the distribution from the IRA is never counted as income when you compute your taxes. Hope that makes sense to everybody. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit. Let's see how this helps Albert and Shirley we were talking about earlier. First, let's suppose Albert and Shirley do what most retirees would do. Albert takes his RMD, his required minimum distribution of $5,000 at the beginning of the year and deposits it in his bank account. He's done. He's done with his RMD for the year. Now being charitable people, they donate $5,000 to charity. The end result is that the charity gets $5,000. Everybody gets that, right? But let's look more closely. By virtue of giving to charity this way, Albert and Shirley's $5,000 charitable contribution will cost them a total of $6,200. Whoa, whoa, whoa. $5,000 charitable contribution costs them $6,200? How does that work? Because the $5,000 RMD that went into his checking account still has a tax cost. Remember, my friends, this couple is in the 24% bracket. 24% times 5,000 equals $1,200. 
So the $1,200 of additional tax that Albert and Shirley must pay when they file their taxes means the total cost of their charitable gift is $5,000 plus the $1,200 or $6,200. Remember, the gift didn't impact their standard deduction. The RMD behind the gift just added to their income. Ouch. So let's say if they did it as a QCD from their IRA instead. Instead of requesting a $5,000 distribution from his IRA to go to his bank account, Albert would simply have had his IRA custodian transfer the $5,000 directly from his IRA to the charity. This satisfies his RMD because he's over 72. Now, the charity is in the same position as before. They still get the $5,000 donation. Good day for them. Albert and Shirley, however, are in a better position. They give the $5,000 to charity. They don't get a deduction for making it, but there's no income tax owed on it. They don't owe that extra $1,200 in taxes. So they still got the same result by doing the qualified contribution. Now, by the way, uh, you do have to be careful with how you code this because currently all the 1099Rs I've ever seen don't actually have a qualified distribution box. Your CPA has to code it right. So be very careful about that. All right. So you might say that it's a very natural question to ask, how does retirement tax planning figure in? After all, we know charity starts at home. You got to take care of home first. It's a good question, my friends, because the government still wants its share of those tax deferred assets. You got that money tax deduction at the beginning, but the government's going to want its share once you pass away. How you set it up really matters. We'll do this to our final key, key number four, organize your assets for your family's benefit. Estate planning still matters. Well, my friends, a step up in basis, very, very important. Now, you might be in a community property state. If you are, more than likely, you get a step up in basis automatically. Uh, here in Minnesota, we're not a community property state, so keep this in mind as, as you're looking at it. Estate planning, my friends, is always a relevant topic. Even people don't like to discuss it. Hard to talk about, right? Dying? Not, not pleasant. But we're not going to discuss estate planning in a traditional way, and that's because the new tax law that we have today excludes estates valued up to $12 million from the federal estate tax, meaning most of us that are, are listening to this today, only a fraction of people are going to have to worry about estate taxes on a federal level and for the most part on a state level too. Now, still very important tax issues remain around how your assets are received by your beneficiaries. One example I just mentioned was the step up in basis. Simply put, it's a tax rule that adjusts the value of an inherited asset so its value is not what your spouse or decedent paid for it initially. Instead, it's stepped up to its price on the date of death. This can make a huge tax difference, as we'll see. It's likely that most assets you own, other than your retirement accounts and annuities will be eligible for a step-up in basis. So let's talk about Phil and Mary. They live in Minnesota. They live in a separate property state. They're married. They own a variety of taxable investments, not IRA accounts. These are taxable investments in a joint account 
known as JTWROS, Joint Tenants with Rights of Survivorship. And these investments have a long-term capital gain of 120K. And one day we get some bad news. Phil is diagnosed with terminal cancer. He only has 18 months to live. Oh, Phil. Well, let's see how this works out with two scenarios. First scenario, Phil and Mary don't make any changes to their assets. In this scenario, when Phil dies, Mary will receive a step up in basis on Phil's half of the joint account, which is $60,000. She still faces a future $60,000 of unrealized gains on her half of the account. Simply put, that means if Mary decided to sell the assets, she's going to owe a tax on her $60,000 of gain. Now, let's say rather than doing that, that they decide to move all their investments into one account in Phil's name. Now, as long as Phil lives longer than a year, Mary is going to receive a full step up in basis on the whole $120,000 account. That's right. A full year, she receives a full step up in basis. So here's the question. Would you rather go to sell your investments, owe a tax on $60,000 again, or none. And let me say, planning around death is so hard. But this is where a professional can help because they're emotionally removed from the situation. And they can assist you to make good decisions that may seem hard at the time. All right, we talked about a step-up basis. Let's talk about inheriting IRAs. Now, you may be someone, if you're like most of us, you've saved up a lot in your IRA or 401k. You're feeling pretty confident. You're going to be comfortable in retirement. You're hopeful you can leave an account to your kids or grandkids. In the past, we'd have recommended that because with the right structure, your heir could withdraw the money through their lifetimes, possibly decades. That changed. There was the SECURE Act in December 2019, which meant that beneficiaries of inherited accounts that aren't spouses, with some exceptions, must withdraw all of the money now within 10 years of the owner's death and pay taxes on that money. This restriction on what was called a stretch IRAs sheds a light on how important tax planning is. Laws can change at any time, so you have to have a plan and revisit that plan regularly. Well, let's talk about Pamela and Kyle. Kyle is 40 years old. Pamela dies and leaves 100% of the balance to her son, Kyle. And so in this particular case, Kyle was this, her only child. He was the sole beneficiary. What we know is that Kyle has a maximum of 10 years to withdraw the IRA monies to meet the required minimum distribution rules. Kyle likes regular distributions, so he chooses to take equal distributions of the funds over 10 years. The IRA earns an average 6% rate of return. This payment, calculated to be 54347 to Kyle each year over 10 years, Kyle would have to add this amount on his income over the 10-year the time frame. Now, I'll point out, doing this is really, really beneficial still. Some people might want to pull out the whole thing in year one. 
that's a bad idea because you're going to get taxed on the whole thing. If it's a relatively small amount, like 10,000 bucks, not a big deal. But at least in this case, Kyle did it over 10 years, every year for 10 years. So he made the money stretch out over a longer time period. Now, alternatively, particularly if you have Roth money, I would emphasize this for Roth. If you are the sole beneficiary, the best thing you could do is wait until the last possible year. You have 10 years to take the required minimum distribution and empty the account. So you can wait until the, the ninth year on the 364th day to take the Roth distribution from the whole thing. In this case, you can see that with a 6% rate of return, his 400 grand became $716,000. You know, that's a much larger distribution than the $540,000 taken over 10 years. So with Roths, definitely delay it as long as possible. Now let's talk a little bit about taxes and long-term care. We've talked enough about death. Now I must say this is not a long-term care presentation. This is about retirement and taxes, but believe it or not, there are some tax breaks associated with long-term care insurance. So for example, long-term care premiums may be a deductible medical expense at the federal level, possibly eligible for deductions or credits even at the state level. And on the other hand, if you are receiving long-term care benefits, in many cases, those benefits are tax-free. For instance, benefits received from reimbursement-style policies are completely tax-free. In addition, cash benefit-style pol policies can be tax-free too if they don't exceed the higher of your actual long-term care costs or an IRS daily limit that's currently 390 bucks a day. So choosing how you pay for your long-term care costs can definitely have a big impact on your estate or your heirs. I'm going to skip over some of the other slides we have here about long-term care and IRA money and, and whatnot. You can see here, there's a lot that we could talk about. How in the world are we ever going to manage this? Now, we started this whole out talking about a problem. We started this talking about how retirees often pay more taxes than expected because we have all of these confusing systems around Medicare, around Social Security, capital gains, and everything else that treats various income types differently and can contain hidden taxes and penalties. Remember the Irma Cliff? Remember the torpedo from Social Security? Let's just do a quick review of what we learned about. Under pre-retirement, we saw the importance of understanding the after-tax value of your retirement savings before you retire. And we also saw in those pre-retirement years that it's critical to consider your tax-deferred savings and start taking advantage of funding Roth accounts to fill your brackets, something you do through your early retirement years in low tax years. We also looked at Social Security and taxes. We saw Medicare had its own tax-like structure that can push you off the Irma cliff. We saw the importance of signing up for Medicare on time right in the middle of those early go-go years. Now, that's because starting in your middle retirement years, you'll be confronted with required minimum distributions, and we've seen the importance of planning your income needs before then and the tax issues involved. And then we saw the importance of setting up your assets and managing them during the later years of retirement so you can preserve the most for your heirs and leave them with the most tax flexibility.
All these items together, my friends, lead us to the obvious solution to our original problem, and it's that your tax exposure will change for retirement. You want a strategy that's going to anticipate how and when you tap assets to cover your personal expenses. You want to understand the range of taxes you will face at various stages. You want to manage your actions so you pay as low of a tax rate as possible. Now, obviously, you've listened to this presentation. You um, certainly are someone that has dedicated time and effort to looking at these different problems and solutions. So if you are someone that is interested in having a tax retirement planning overview meeting, it would be my pleasure and honor to help you. And um, certainly feel free to reach out to Robbie, assistant at daviddeniston.com or myself, dave at daviddeniston.com, and we can help you put that together. And with that, we will open this up for questions. Well, thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now, I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant, and you're looking for a second opinion, I'm making myself available for 30-minute strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we're not appropriately registered or excluded. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mention insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of an additional insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. 
And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.daviddeniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.